0: This is the multi-sport podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers, and fitness enthusiasts. Supported by NoPin suppliers of number attachment systems for cycling, running, triathlon, and duathlon, and skin suits, bellatoes, overshoes, and club clothing. Visit NoPins.com. Also supported by uk for all your biking needs.
1: Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster.
0: Welcome to the 137th JBST.com Smartcast. Now in its 10th year of broadcasting, I'm Coach Joe Beer, and I'm joined once again by Martin Crocker of Southwarkracing.co.uk for all your bicycling needs. Hello. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? All right. Good. We are in um, almost a, a sunny June day, but obviously we're doing this uh, later on in the day. So the sun is... um. Unfortunately it disappeared. That went a long time ago. It did, didn't it? Yes. But we we're in the long days and the short nights. I love this time of year. So how are you doing? Very well. Very well. Yeah, yeah. Everything's uh
1: everything is good. So like you said, the weather's turning uh turning better. So uh And just... you're and you're competing. You're you you've got your nose out in the front, haven't well, you? it's always you just... about the nose, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I've, well, I'm not competing. I've uh, I've done a time trial, which I uh, swear I was never ever going to do again. But uh, yeah, I uh, I managed to uh, to get out on a drop handlebar bike and have a uh, have a little uh, punt at ten miles as it would be. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was good fun. So I threatened <laughs> threatened Joe was going off behind me, so I was threatening that I was going to uh, draft him all the way back to the start. But unfortunately, he went past me like a uh, like a missile. So but yeah, it was good fun. Good, good. Any other competing you're going to be doing? I've been managed. I'm, I'm making. A, well, I'm making a bit of a a triathlon kind of uh, return. So I've been asked to do a, a, a bike leg for.
0: Uh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa! So don't call yourself a triathlete. you are just doing the yeah, bike leg. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's three of us. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Yeah, I, so I, one's T, one's R, and one's I. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah,
1: yeah. So so yeah, I'm just doing. It's only a a sprint try,
0: a local sprint try. So. It'll be good fun. And and you've, and you've done cyclocross earlier on in the year once, I heard, and a couple three of... Three man- times, Oh, OK. Actually. A couple of mountain bikes? Uh, three
1: times, yeah, and uh, a couple of mountain bike races as well. So, uh, but yeah, looking to do the whole... Have you, have you, have you road raced? Uh, no, not this year. Not this mm-hmm. year. So I've decided, uh, decided against it. But unfortunately, I shall be making a kind of beleaguered attempt at coming back next year. OK.
0: So, less about Martin. Yes. More, more about you lovely listeners. We've had a couple of iTunes reviews, which I always like to read out because people have put them there for a reason. And we read them out not based on looking at the ones that are um, most helpful, most favorable, most critical, but actually most recent. So whatever comes out, we read it. First one is from Kevo M. And he said, very informative. He gave us five stars, which joins another 37 people who have given us five stars. So Thank you for that. And he says, I've been listening to the podcast for a few years, and I've now found it to be an excellent source of information and advice, most of which I've been lucky enough to be able to put to use while I've been training for my various Ironman events. Messrs. Beer and Crocker are full of good banter too, which helps make the podcast easy to listen to, but I really wish that one day they would do a proper review on tyres. Oh, good <laughs> No, <laughs> keep up the good work, guys. Smiley face um we can always put some information out that is out and about on the internet already about there's there's some very good reviews from uh various people that do tire reviews such as tour magazine and um that guy who publishes it who stopped doing it a couple of years ago but there's there's some things out there kevo that we can put um out via the coach joe beer twitter feed so you can find out about tires but you know we can't we can't review tyres. That's what people do um, for jobs in um, bike magazines. And that's their job, to go out and to review them and do wrong resistance and puncture stuff. And I have to say, Tour magazine is pretty awesome for that kind of stuff. They do some quite rigorous testing that rarely see something that's um that's a bit dubious so I think it's um a a good resource to go to um and there was a um another one as well Martin Uh, it says evidence-based advice on
1: how to go faster so this is from Ian Hutchinson um it says a fantastic resource of information to help you go faster for longer and most importantly evidence-based information Joe does tend to wonder, oh, yeah. but that's the beauty of it. I haven't read this, it's brilliant. Uh, I haven't read this either. <laughs> one thing leads to another, which then takes you on to etc. etc. The crockster helps the flow of the presentation and brings some humour to what could be a very dry podcast. <laughs> 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 Worth saving so you can go back and revisit topics. Excellent. Uh, thank you very much for that, Ian. Yeah. Well, I mean... It's it's something that I suppose a lot of the, the the subjects, believe it or not, Joe and I talk on pretty much more than kind of one occasion a week, I should think. And that's not including a podcast. Yeah. So, so for, even though we have a tendency to kind of go really in depth with it, it's almost like we're carrying on a conversation that we've mm, had previously. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, um, and but... I think also there's there's a sense that if you did give dry numbers, it would be a bit kind of boring like train at this percentage and that's it or do these intervals and that's it and actually i think especially with the experience and sometimes with, with having differing opinions or knowing through both of us interacting with groups of individuals yeah. in this area that you do you do sometimes get the, the funny opinions on certain areas and so you you have to be able to to almost take something and not say yes or no yeah. but actually blend it into um a well that could be right but how about you try this this and this so there isn't an absolute otherwise it'd only be one chosen tire
1: yeah one type thing, of interval
0: yeah. one type of you know perfect drink and, and stuff and i think there's, there's a variety out there yeah. and we'd all we'd all be on
1: that one particular type of uh, type of kit so whether it be the best tyre or whether it be the best nutrition you know all of us would be there um would be on it kind of all the time so there'd be no point in us doing this podcast
0: (laughs) (laughs) no and hopefully the banter banter helps um not sure that not sure that um don't you even try and change that now. That's on there. Ian's put that on there. I'd just there. let you help the flow of presentation. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and next... And, and next... He just passes the paper across. No, so right. that's... OK. Joe keeps clicking on the report a concern
1: button now at the bottom of the screen. Report it. Thank you very much, Ian. Thank you. And we'd have to explain why it might sound a bit different.
0: Yes, um, this is going via a different setup via Mike's... Our uh, resident... We are out of comms, aren't we? We're not out of comms. We've just got our resident uh, music audio expert working on um, an alternative enhanced audio. So if this sounds a little bit tinny, well, wait till next month. It sounds a lot better. Good. First question. Peter Thomas, who is a sprint Olympic distance age group triathlete. And he says, and I'm going to go through this a bit quickly, because otherwise we'd be here all night on just one question. So my question relates to nose breathing while running after undergoing surgery towards the end of 2014. I did a three month return to run program to ensure I completed it correctly and stayed in zone one. Uh, I found um, I would exclusively breathe through my nose. I could keep my heart rate um, low at around 75 percent. Gradually the pace began to increase as I stuck to this with my heart rate training the same since completing the return to the um, running plan. Um, For the last couple of months I've been building in some speed work in zone 3. Surprisingly I've found that I can keep nose breathing comfortably when running hard. For example my max is around 190 and I run a 5k max hitting 188 but I can comfortably run at 170 beats per minute for 30 to 40 minutes breathing through my nose. And why is this? Is it I've become good at breathing in this way, having run for three or four months with my mouth closed? or am I misinterpreting the results? Um, There does come a point whereby at flat out 5k pace, I need to start breathing through my mouth. But as mentioned, this is well above my easy zone one pace. I thought this would be an interesting topic for podcasts. I've often touched on the benefits of nose breathing for zone one base work. And you mentioned how it's um, an indicator of running strength and speed when testing people running around a track. Um, It would be good to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Pete. So yeah, I think this is really interesting because um, there are a few books and there are certainly people that have advocated this, just breathe through your nose and go out and run. And I've yet to ever find somebody that has said it just doesn't work. Now, there may be people that find breathing through their nose difficult and as they know it could be to do with you know, boxing or a, a crash on their bike or some kind of accident and they have problems breathing. But I think it really does help people to become Better at breathing. When um Pete you say about um uh is that I've become good at breathing this way, having run to three to four months. I think it is. I think a lot of people are lazy breathers at the very top of the sort of rib cage area, and there's not much depth in pushing the diaphragm down and getting stronger in that way. So they, they rely on this sort of very puffy, you know, top of the top of the chest rather than sort of right down in the in the diaphragm. And I think you're interpreting it correctly because you can get into zone two. I've tried it myself. I've gone well into zone two and certainly very close to threshold and I'm still nose breathing. And I think there are times when perhaps if it's cold, um, if you have a cold or a bit of a um, an allergy or reaction to something in the air, particularly at the moment, you know, May, June, July, quite possibly people have sniffles where they're not allergic to things but they say cool my breathing can be a bit heavy just whereby I seem to be due to pollen or pollution just breathing differently but I think I think you're on it I think you're absolutely on it by saying it is working um, at that low level and concentration on your breathing that lo and behold has given you the ability to push higher up which is why I say to people do have a reference point with heart rate because you can get very good at this nose breathing and you can be well into zone two. So you can be up to, let's say, certainly around 85% of heart rate max. You can get another 5% of heart rate max out before you start to say, oh, I have to start getting the odd mouse breath. Yeah, Yeah.
1: what were you
0: going to say? Because you've been incredibly quiet. All I I
1: was thinking with this is, is to explain to people why you would nose breathe to start off with okay yeah uh, um but then uh, obviously what well, i've scribbled down on the on the bottom of
0: that which i don't know whether that makes any sense no, to you whatsoever no no, no. <laughs> i thought i thought it was a shopping list <laughs> air intake is that for the car yeah that's right And i was yeah. looking i thought it said hmb i was like why is he taking hydroxy why not why not yeah, okay yeah, i'll explain yeah um and and i think he's explained for us by saying that if i exclusively was breathing through my nose, I could keep my heart rate at 75%. And that's that's about right. If you particularly concentrate on being relaxed and nose breathing... I think what you're saying, Peter, which is what I have found is that you can certainly take nose breathing up to higher levels, but it's no longer what you'd really say relaxed. You're moving at such a rate and you're breathing at such a rate that it's no longer sort of relaxed zone one and you feel like, oh, this is great. And my breathing's working. You're really starting to sort of... Because we're all about exclusively, so there's not the odd, you know, cheap breath where you breathe out through your mouth, but you also take a little inspiration. You close your mouth and you, and you breathe through your nose. Somewhere in the office, I've got this little strip that, that um, I got from the States in the 90s, and you stuck it on your mouth, and it had the shape of a mouth on it and it was deliberately designed so this is why this is all like not it's not um something where somebody thinks what is this people were thinking about it back then saying put it on your um mouth and just concentrating on nose breathing and at that time um Phil Maffetone who's known about quite a lot in triathlon he worked with Mark Allen and Mike Pig and other athletes he was very much advocating keeping um, below 180 minus your age in terms of most of your base work. And for most people, if you do that calculation, that keeps you well in zone one. Mm. Probably 75%, maybe maybe a bit lower. So I, I think it, to me, it makes sense to do nose breathing. And I think the reason why it works is you just end up breathing deeper. And actually, oftentimes, you'll, you'll push your belly out. And I think what happens with people, particularly when they start running or they're in the gym and they're in their super tight stuff, is they want to keep their... They want to keep their stomach almost tensed in. You have to breathe at the top of your ribcage then. You can't do the... the um, Look at the pictures of Jan Ulrich during time trials where he breathed out and his belly, not when he was big, yeah. when he was lean, oh, yeah. his belly stuck out. And if you push... I can push... Like a, I can push my um, stomach out, and it definitely is the lungs it 's not my belly it 's pushing your lungs so low down that yeah. you push the push but the you way. can also do that when you
1: turbo train you can belly breathe can 't you you know you can yeah. kind of actively try and push your belly out and you 'll notice that your heart rate drops off from being where it where it was originally it normally drops down by a couple of uh, a couple of beats, but uh, um, the little notes that i 've written on the bottom was is pretty much what joe uh, what Joe has um, answered anyway, so um, I was wondering whether whether this whether this kind of action inhibits or benefits um, a person when they start to get up to around their kind of zone two zone three work, um, but like joe 's kind of touched on really is, is you know you must have built yourself quite a good base. Um, Peter, with your zone one running, that obviously you got to your zone two and uh, and started to, to to find that it was not easier, but you could you could control kind of the breathing as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so there
0: so... is a there is a book by um, John Douillard. Uh, I believe it's D O U D O U I L L A R D, and that refers to a lot about um, nose breathing. There's also a good book if this kind of thing appeals to you it's probably um you know an ebay job might be from america but very very unassuming book very kind of oh that looks like it's come off of a amateur small press and lo and behold you know there's people like um legend of cycling john howard you've got mark allen Mike pick all associated with this book And it's called training for endurance it's by phil maffetone and that's a lot to do with keeping the stress down i think if people could do nose breathing, when they want to get back to fitness, when they want to just find what 's their base level, or when they want to just start doing something for themselves rather than keeping up with other people, they realize and he said most of it you know is is it sounds like he 's been on his own um, it 's been building back, and it 's been after i t b surgery, so he 's just had to basically just you know go with it, but now he 's on about still getting his heart rate up to um you know close to max but can comfortably run at um, 170, 20 beats off max for 30, 40 minutes. So, yeah, I think that's, I I would say that's a very good observation of good mechanics of breathing. If anything, it's taught Peter how to be able to um, perhaps breathe more efficiently, which if you don't breathe efficiently, you'll struggle to do base work because every time you try to exercise, you'll have to in effect not necessarily pant but you won't be using the full mechanics of breathing. Breathing requires that the oxygen goes into your lungs, that it's in there long enough to pass into the alveoli and that you don't almost drag that breath back out quickly and sometimes at high intensity to take a big nose breath is brilliant because it almost like saturates everything and you can feel the drop in like the lactate and the drop in the stress of your body because you've stopped panting and (laughs) and just go (sighs) and it almost like stops everything because if you don't breathe correctly what happens is the blood is shooting by the lung bed at such a rate that if you're taking the oxygen in and out so quickly it doesn't have long enough to sit there you do get a very inefficient function of that system and i think this goes back to the basics of don't ignore the the muscles around the rib cage even the way to breathe which should be trying to learn how to push your belly out and breathe in not try and hold it tight because you're running and there's the gym mirror and you want to make sure you look like you've got a six pack while you're running and it doesn't work
1: Yeah, and, and also i think sometimes i mean i i as a as a child i used to suffer from um asthma quite uh, quite bad. And I, it seems to have grown, I seem to have grown out of it. But it was more essential for me to concentrate on kind of deeper breathing. Uh, funny enough, when I first met Joe, it was a suggestion that, to, you know, try try nose breathing or proper belly breathing to kind of help you open the chest up and that's made a, that's made a quite a bit of difference for for me from um from that point of view trying to engage things like uh you know your, your chest muscles rib cage your diaphragm um and like i said because i would i would, I would say that my lung capacity isn't massive um but it's been made a little bit better by being able to breathe kind of properly um so yeah i mean if you haven't given it a go try it
0: yeah good right, so, good but, question but peter thank you peter, yeah. and yeah very um, very thought-provoking hopefully for some people so um another one this is from kevin murray uh iron man second one aiming for 14 and a half hours so it says hi guys um i've been a fan of the show for a few years now and find the show is a great resource of advice for up and coming Man as well as a great source of entertainment. (laughs) thanks Kev (laughs) thanks Thanks, Kev keep up the good work guys I'm also hoping that you help me out with a piece of advice I've entered Ironman UK which is 19th of July training giving up well Um, however my wife has booked one week's holiday in London with the kids aged 10 and 7 on the 5th of July returning back on the 11th so he returns back the weekend before he blamed it on his wife blame the the wife for your not breaking 1430 (laughs) right at the beginning of the question Uh, problem is that although my week falls into taper period um in brackets i'm following the dave scott triathlete europe super simple training plan um i won't have access to either a pool or my bike for this week so there will be no swimming or cycling i kind of have a pop out early morning for a quick run and perhaps squeeze in a long bike before i go to london and perhaps another one when i return however my dilemma really is that as the holiday will be a tiring one with all the walking about with two small kids do i Just accept that there will be no training this week and forget the early morning runs and rest... Or should I try and keep myself ticking over for a week? I don't want the body to seize up, but I don't want to return exhausted either. Any thoughts or pointers would be greatly appreciated. Uh, For your information, I finished Ironman Wales in 1509 and had a great time. My target for Ironman UK would be to go sub 1430. So I'm most definitely not at the pointy end, but I would still like to do well. Thanks, guys. Kevin Murray. Well, um, the, the pointy end is the difficult end to be at um but at the non-pointy end it's still a difficult day because you're out there for iron man's and iron man almost twice as long um so it's actually you know it's, it's it's no less of a feat to to do it in um 10 12 14 16 hours so um you're without seeming corny you're the heart of the sport because mm. if it was just the pointy end there'd be you know 10 people Um, maybe 20 like the original Ironmans people looking people up and down thinking I think I can beat them and off they go to try and see whether they can do an Ironman so it's become much more accessible and therefore things like you know life get in the way if you are or were Dave Scott back in his era then everything built around him getting to you know Kona every year to peak perfection and the whole of the plan of the year was built around that when you have got to work around going to London you know traveling on business moving house two weeks before, all that kind of stuff. I think you have to have a flexible attitude. I really do. I think, you you know, you're, if you're training peaks for Ironman, it's probably peaking um, something in the four weeks out, maybe maybe three weeks out. It's there or thereabouts. And as we are early June, it's not going to be that many weeks before you start to hit peak. And your peak is whatever your peak is. Some people will get, you know, their their great 120-mile ride done three times in the prep with plenty of 80 90 miles. other people they scraped 80 miles and that's their longest ride and I think everyone goes into it differently And you can't be on a plan and think the moment that you're off plan you've lost the benefits mm. of the plan most importantly if you are um, at least a 10 and 7 so hopefully you don't have to lug them around too much um, they should be walking I, I would hope <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so yeah you're going to be walking around yeah you might want to do a little bit but you've got one more weekend left when you get back. That's as much to, you know, prep your kit, have a little bit of a ride. I certainly wouldn't do a long ride at that point. You're a week out and you're probably tired or at least differently tired to a working week because being with kids is different to um, being at work. It often is that, you know, you've probably had maybe a considerable amount of um, travel. We don't know where you're traveling to, but, um, you know, you're kind of you're still not doing your normal week our normal weeks we can do them on autopilot even if we think they're stressful they're not as stressful as um entertaining kids as being on holiday because that's where lots of people go almost like they sort of shut down a bit because they're on holiday and they'd like to do that a week after their Ironman but when they do it a week before I think you need to keep a little bit of training going but you just see how you feel and the early morning round might be 20 minutes just to clear your head and to have a a brief chat to yourself on your own out on a short run saying, right, I can do this thing. But, you know, I'm I'm already tapering and I don't need to be on my bike. It's as much the saying that, um, you know, nothing's bad, only thinking makes it so. If you think that is going to wreck your man, it already has because it's got to you. If you can think, you know what, I can get back and then on that, um, you know, Sunday the 12th, go out on the bike, maybe do a couple of hours, just get the legs just a little bit stretched, maybe up to three hours, get off, do a you know, 20, 30-minute run, go, okay, fine, that should feel um, solid because it's a week out. It shouldn't be a, a hammer to see, oh, what pace am I going to do, what am I going to do? By then, most of your pace judgment, most of your training is done, but you can just almost like take a week of not doing much, maybe two, three runs for that week that you're away, bike at the weekend when you get back a couple of swims and a bike in the week up to the race and that's it and that might be different to the plan but everybody as they get closer has to feel what they need what you can't do say oh it says i want i want well i should be doing you know 50 minute run but i still feel like i'm not tapering and i'm tired well don't do the 50 minute run do what you need to do but also with it as well is
1: you know like Joe says, most of your hard work, most of the core, most of the, the the polishing up now has almost been done. So you know you can only really lead yourself to fatigue from from now on. That's what you know. Your taper's there for you to absorb training. You know, don't don't. Hopefully you don't view, and I don't think you will view. You know, this is this London trip as being a bit of a hindrance. I know what you're trying to do is you're trying to kind of level it in your head to say, look. You know, I'm not going to be able to do Mm. what I think I should be doing. You know, is this going to be okay? You've done most of it, mate. So most of it is done and dusted. Mm. So I wouldn't lose any any sleep over it i would just enjoy the time that you have with 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 your good lady and uh, and your kids um and like joe says if you can rattle in a few without kind of feeling a guilty be tired um or see kind of causing in any form of arguments then you know brilliant go for it but mm. other than that i don't think you need to stress yourself out or put yourself into a yeah. predicament where you think oh, i need to be doing this i need to be doing this and everything yeah. then becomes a bit of a everything becomes a bit of an inconvenience and if you can't do it so i would i would just keep a nice decent level head on it and if you have to if
0: you have to go out and you
1: can go out
0: brilliant yeah people do an iron never forget whether it's you know whether somebody's um you know quick enough to be doing it in eight or nines or doing it in 14s or 15s you need to carbo load up to it you need to be fresh and feisty and I always have my athletes ready to race by the weekend before and then whatever happens in the week up to the race which is still going to be often travel easier if you're going to um, be doing Ironman UK because from anywhere in the UK you're not actually doing you know a major flight or hassle so there's less travel but there's still there's still travel involved you've still got to clear the decks before you head down to Ironman UK you've got to register There's lots that goes on in that week that makes it a really different week. And you don't want to be thinking, well, I think I can recover that week. You won't. You'll be getting stressed by the race coming up. The last thing you can do is any emergency training. It's done. You might check the race bike. You might you know go for a run early on in the week you might go for one nearer the race to as i say bounce your bowels away and make sure they're you know make sure they're 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 um they're working and you don't you don't totally rust up and feel completely exhausted by the fact you've done no exercise and you keep contact with the water but that's little micro sessions that you fit in where you can in the lead up to the race that week is so different to other weeks that you need to be ready the weekend before so part of that sunday is not only going out and doing your maybe two to three hour ride and a short run off it, but also getting all your kit ready to say, I'm not going to try and get ready in the week, but I need to travel on the, you know, on the Thursday. And I, oh, I've got such work to do Monday to Wednesday at work. I'm going to have no time to train and no time to fix stuff. You'll get stressed that week because the race is coming up. You don't add to it. So make sure you have less in that week than you think you may even need because you just need enough to tick over and to stop getting Getting the uh, the twitches that you're not yeah. doing a training, and you carbo load, and you make sure that you are, you know, regularly um, getting your uh, glycogen stimulated by the fact that you are eating carbs, water, you know, plenty of, of eating done. Certainly up to the uh, up to the Saturday um, early part of Saturday. Friday is often the best day to do, you know, nothing but eat register look around the location um you don't need to drive 112 miles to see what the bike route's like uh, less is more sometimes with uh, information like that but you know you just relax and then the saturday you can just get the last bits ready put your bike in etc cetera, etc cetera. and all that's happening when normally you know friday you might do a training session saturday might go up and do another training session this is race week and it's entirely different and you'll you'll be fine But you just have to realise that, um, uh, as per the um, thing on my uh, wall, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And sometimes that's it. You've just got to say, well, the plan has changed. I've got to be able to make sure that I'm mentally just keeping myself positive, even if I can't get the sessions done, even if I only get one run done when I'm away and only get an hour on the bike when I get back on the Sunday because I've got so much to do. Don't worry, every little bit will keep ticking over very few people say i just didn't do enough training in the last 10 days before the race i mean yeah, that's that's yet, that's yet to come out of anybody's mouth some people might say oh i didn't do much training but god i felt pretty good in the race and like oh there's a connection isn't there you did less training you felt good in the race you've got like we're saying 14 hopefully 14 and a half hours anyway um you've got a lot of time the last thing you're going to do is is go into it and need any sharpeners to be ready that's a long day you're not just out there for 14 and a half hours to get value for money no, that's, that's, that's <laughs> tough that's a you know that's a um that's a race where it's the law of attrition that takes over as to who gets you know 14 and a half who gets 15 so enjoy it give us feedback And um, you know what? Because it's man UK, we can be watching some of your splits on race day and see how he's doing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks, Kev. The same man that left us a put two and two together. I like Ian. Ian Hutchinson. (laughs) asks a question. He says, adaptation, we hear it mentioned, but what is it? When is it needed? For example, if eight hours a week training, then probably not but 12 hours 20 hours question mark um when oh, sorry what to do in an adaptation week nothing all zone one how many hours and also finally any tips to overcome fear of missing out i must train i must train i must train running through your head how do you deal with it well, i think to go through each of those individually adaptation what is it well it's it's allowing your body to get over whatever you've done to that point and I think people think adaptation only happens or is required when they've had such a big week they feel absolutely fatigued. If you're training on a regular basis, and some people will say, I, "I just need to get training weeks. I can't throw in adaptation." I luckily, you know, I'm lucky to get hours because of the randomness of my job, of my home, of whatever. And so they're almost adapting sometimes by the fact they're forced not to train for three days. So that right there is enough impetus to want them to get back into training on the fourth day and to not feel tired but if you're um in says about you know eight hours a week 12 hours a week 20. actually people can need adaptation on eight hours a week because if you do hard race within eight hours or you've got three lots of intervals or you're um you know a veteran athlete that's been used to training six hours for the event but they've now gone up to eight hours they could definitely need one week's worth of adaptation so i think You know, it's it's the way of letting your training make you better. Because if you've done eight hours this week, doing eight hours next week, may not make you any better, may just make you more tired. And so it's very individual for each person when is it needed. Because it doesn't want to be, Oh, I've done such a good week and so oh next week see if I do a bit more. You know, that's what people do, don't they? Oh, I did a ten hour week, that's great. What what what's gonna be better than that? Well I do twelve. Twelve, yeah. You know.
1: And and I think adaptation is always viewed as the I, I always say it's always viewed as the athletes or the triathlete's guilty part of training. It's that at that part where you just you know you have to do it, you have to rest. We don't do enough of it, but what we end up doing is none of it and then just going, Oh but I need to. I need to adapt. I need to have this adapted. And mm. then you don't do it. You get guilty if you do do it, and it's mm. like a lose-lose situation because mm. you mm. immediately think, "Oh well, I, sh- I could be doing another couple of hours of training." Mm. You know, d- 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 this. How long is this going to take? Yeah, <laughs> the typical kind of athlete thing. Just just stood yeah. there tapping your feet. And how long is this adaptation mm. taking then? And the, the biggest part of it is the guilt, I think, that yeah. an athlete feels yeah. by doing I'm it when you out, shouldn't. I'm missing out, I'm missing, yeah. out I'm missing out, I'm missing out. You yeah. shouldn't, which is kind of goes on to Ian's kind of last, yeah. you know, the fear of missing out. And yeah. I
0: had a question today from somebody. I said, right, it was in his adaptation week, and he said, yeah, I've done that swim this morning and it went really well. I'm really thinking about doing another one later today. And I said, the thing is, you've got a 70.3 coming up in 10 days, you've got um an Iron Man in exactly four weeks because that's why the adaptation is this week. Um actually no it's eight weeks, sorry not four weeks, eight weeks. If you don't adapt now, the mojo, the recovery, the vitality to train won't be as high as possible come Monday morning. It'll be about normal because you would have done another week. And this is an athlete that um you know due to uh, should we say, um, time availability, The was it a week ago, did a 20-hour week. So we're not talking about somebody saying, well, I need adaption from six hours. Oh, come on, I can do that with my eyes closed. And sometimes that is the case. But when you're talking a 20 hours, like, yeah, you need to adapt because if you just get used to doing 20 hours all the time you won't get good at doing 20 hours you'll get good at scraping yourself for 20 hours because when you're good 20 hours is doable when you're not 20 hours will put you in a bucket and therefore you're just training yourself to get worse and so this athlete realized that to overcome that fear of missing out they had to see that the point of what we're doing in this week is to make the next three weeks go really well and therefore hormonally muscle damage wise glycogen storage I'd even say admin and brownie points wise we're just putting loads back in which is always always um it's realized after the fact that it was really good at the time they're really scraping themselves up the up the wall and I I realize and have been um at times been able to uh do more training um, than I do at the moment, but I still think that adaptation is the bit where smarter athletes or those that are not, they're not driven by this belief that they need to just work and work and work and somehow, you know, everyone else, everyone else isn't working hard enough and they work really hard they'll somehow you know, be able to you know, beat people. Essentially, we've all got a sweet spot where the amount of work we do versus what's going on around us is just right. And then there's the point where people go into obsessiveness and they think, well, if I've done that, oh, the moment I stop doing that, I'll, I'll start to go backwards. And that's fine if your job depends on it. You have to do every last bit. But there's a great graph of, of data showing um, marathon runner volume If you look at the downloads on uh, jbst.com, there's one from this year's Tri-Show 2015, and it shows on this graph the ebb and flow of marathoners' volume. I know they were were peaking at like 250 kilometres, but they dropped down to, say, 160 kilometres. So big variations, and that variation was due to them deliberately putting these ebbs and flows and although there's different athletes and they're heading for the same marathon they don't exactly mirror when everybody does that but as they get nearer to the event you can see that they're getting more in sync with all starting to you know so nobody does the biggest week just before the event and everyone's slightly on a different um different parameter but I I think you know Ian the, the key is is the way you deal with not training at the normal level is you realize that if you just train at the same level you just get very good at training and it isn't about I've done all this training is can I see adaptation and sometimes the best way to adapt is to stop doing what you've just been doing and wait for your body to catch up because very few people can keep in sync with their training even if you've got um, a job of flexibility, even if you've got um, really good sleep patterns, even if you've got everything geared towards what you think you might be able to absorb, it's often better to just be slightly on one week having that guilty pleasure of, I'm not going to get up so many times early. I'm not going to do quite so many intervals. You certainly don't stay in zone one. I like people doing some feisty efforts in an adaptation week because towards the end of the week, they start feeling quite good. So you keep them under control without saying, you know, right, see how you feel. And if you feel really good, smash yourself because then you have defeated the idea of that adaptation week, which is to be ready for the next three weeks to come and it's not exactly a four-week cycle for everybody (laughs) but it seems to work that that ratio is right enough that at least you've got a plan to say I can deal with this week because I know I've got three weeks coming up where I can't tell exactly what volume I'm going to do we can't give somebody right you're going to do eight then 12 then 16 because that makes out there an engine that you can always mark that amount of workload just by turning the dial up whereas humans sometimes oh i did the eight but i couldn't do the 12 i only did nine and the 16 actually i did 18 and i was saying well okay that's that's roughly what it should be but adaptation is often viewed and said by people and straight with this person said today um um yeah i know this is a um, i know this is a rest week i said it's not a rest week i said you're going to end up doing probably you're probably going to end up doing like 12 hours maybe more that's not a rest week it's just not as good as the week before which yes. is which is nudging you saying yes but you did 20 last week and of course that then anything less is is oh, getting worse not anything less is actually allowing you to adapt, adapt. and get better yeah, yeah. And, and i think with reference to this
1: ian as well is if you've got a decent enough plan going forwards the way you need to get over the the fear of missing out is by going well this is why i'm doing it you know, yeah. it's my adaption. So that that's why I'm doing it. And no, I'm not going to go chasing after the um, local cycling club or, you know, I'm not going to run after the, the guy that you know you beat in most of the running races that you do. You know, it will be, I don't need to. Why? Because this is part of what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. It's part yeah. of my adaption. Yeah. And the way I justify it or the way a lot of people justify it, I think, is by going, well, I've done those hard weeks. I know why this week is mm. still quite a bit of volume to it, but maybe not, not quality as far as, you know, the high-end stuff, but, you know, I'm doing it for a reason, this is the reason, I know why it is, yeah, and then you yeah. kind of get past that then.
0: And what you do in adaptation week just has to be a diluted version of what you'd normally do. I wouldn't entirely drop weights, I wouldn't entirely, you know, do zone one, but often the state in which you start that adaptation week will tell you whether – um, if, you're, if you're triathlete or duathlete or runner, whether you need to drop some of the impact running and do some deep water running or actually even convert some of the run sessions to biking just to give your legs a bit more recovery, whether you actually can spend some really good time in that adaptation week doing some some admin and some kit work, which will actually pay you back in long term because you won't have kit malfunctions and you'll be able to spend some time that if you're doing... 16 hours that's got to take a big chunk out of your free time therefore you can't be sitting down and just making sure you've got your races entered and so forth so everyone's adaptation like everyone's training weeks are different but it is a phrase that people should use because just to train you know you've got to have the the combination of 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 a training plan of some kind of goal is there's got to be work done and there's got to be adaptation to that work you can't just work 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 and work and it's often missed by people they see an athlete winning a race and they don't realize that athlete might. Spend, you know, 10 days doing very little and just really, you know, uh, doing all their, you know, particularly the wind and all their interviews and their travel and their next, you know, planning of uh, their, um, you know, their, their testing that they've got to do or their um, equipment sponsors or whatever, what they wouldn't do is immediately say, oh, the next day I went out and started training all over again, because they realised that's the biggest impact, that race, they're going to be absolutely spent, um, I'm thinking bigger races, not short ones, and therefore why jump straight back in and train you let your body adapt particularly if you're talking Ironman, man really long hard sporties really long mountain bike races you need time off and it's it's forced on people but that's adaptation yeah
1: that's it
0: Joe, do, do you want to read this one that i can do yes yes i can read um
1: you this, can this one is from um rob shealy um and it says hi guys love the show uh, i've been scouring through the back catalogue I'm a 40 year old living in Australia. Six months ago I was doing absolutely nothing. I started running and entering 5k local runs. I got a decent road bike to cross train and have always been able to swim, albeit at an average pace. Um, it wasn't long before I was talked into having a go at an uh, enticer type triathlon. After two, I am now hooked and training for my first sprint in late May, which will be the last of our season. Way back in episode 113, there was a discussion on disc wheels. Um, At the time, Joe said there was probably a list of 20 things he would suggest to improve your bike, and a disc wheel would be the 20th. Uh, I'm actually interested in improving my bike, possibly in some of the other 19 ways. I had not ridden for 23 years prior to getting this bike. I managed to lead my age group in my second try and finish sixth overall in the bike leg out of 110. Uh, for your reference, this is my current setup. Uh, it is a Jamis Zenith uh, Comp 2014 with a carbon frame 105 group set, Mavic CXP 22 wheels uh, running on Vittoria Open Corsa Evo CXs. It says, Any suggestions will be greatly appreciated. Keep up the great work, Rob. Um, well, firstly, fantastic. You know, from from doing from yeah. doing absolutely nothing to starting uh, entering five k local runs, it's got to be uh, it's got to be a tick on the uh, on the box for uh, good on you. Definitely. Um, again, like you said, you have got a decent road bike to cross train. This is normally the catch. What happens is you start one sport, you get mm. another one to complement it, and then that kind of takes over a little bit as it was. But um, but again, good on you for kind of number one getting out and doing it but even having a go in these enticer kind of type triathlons so Mm -hmm. you know like a novice triathlon where you know the atmosphere is really good in regardless whether you go to a pro or an enticer the the atmosphere is fantastic Mm -hmm. um um, but by the looks of it you've uh, you've cracked on really well um with reference to your bike your bike like I said, it's got a decent kit on it. Um, it's a decent make with a decent carbon frame. So um, your tyres, um, I mean, wheels. Wheels are a good upgrade, um, especially with the ones that you've got kind of at the minute. So the the CXP twenty two rims. Um, I don't quite know what the what the hubs would be, um, but the the rims themselves are good, solid rims. But they they without being rude, they are quite entry level. When it comes to uh when it comes to kind of weight um but but most of them as far as aerodynamics go you know they're, they're not ultra deep no. um but you know from there you can look at maybe up to about 350 quid will get you a decent set of wheels lighter uh, again um and then you know it just depends on your budget but with mm. reference your tires are pretty good uh, depending on whether you use 23s or 25s yeah um you know most of the wheels now or, or most of the the, the uh, work that's been done on on tires at the minute seems to be 25s pointing towards 25s yeah um so i would look at maybe a wheel upgrade from there i know this takes us back to the disc but you know little a little upgrade like that could be the the difference uh, between you know with you finishing kind of sixth overall uh, in your bike leg mm. and then a little upgrade could mean that you know you could finish third or you could mm. be the fastest so again depending on courses um you know mavic do a huge range of wheels you know there's loads of other guys out there that that do a huge range of wheels as well that aren't don't cost the earth mm. but
0: is is a, is a decent upgrade from from what you've got at the I minute the thing, it says you know um i managed to lead lead my age group in my second try and finish sixth overall in the bike leg out of 110 so immediately there's got to be um you know a a very good um level of power you could give somebody a very fast bike but if you can't generate the power that bike is not going to give you the sixth fastest bike leg so you must have good power in order to do that and those um cxp22s you know are not a deep rim if you're going as fast as that sixth out of 110 would suggest then you're going quick enough that aero wheels would make you a little bit quicker you're probably talking a drop of something like I mean they're they're pretty much box section they're certainly not you know deep enough that you start talking about them being a you know an aero rim as such so you might find that you can trim um through a fairly simple set of deep um wheels that you trim off something like maybe certainly 10 maybe 15 watts which yeah that makes your you know sprint try a little bit quicker but it's not i mean it's not minutes quicker and neither would be a disc a disc would be lucky firstly the budget of the disc would far exceed those um sort of standard alloy braking surface deep um uh, sort of uh, section section yeah. wheels and the disc would be so much more expensive and yet the actual benefit it looks big it's a great billboard for somebody to stick stickers but i think maybe it's it's ahead of other areas where yeah you want you want the, you know they want tyres to definitely be um no narrower than 23 and ideally 25 mils certainly um Victoria's are on good um, tyres it's also a case of looking I think in all the time TNT okay you've got a good bike leg but are you are you strong enough off the bike to really um, run well and that means are you getting your pacing correct so are you doing pace work that would be one of my 19 things you're just varying on working out how to best pace because the sprint isn't get on hammer the bike as hard as possible and hope you can hang on for 5k because if that's the case then there's certain improvements in not just your biking but how your biking affects your running and that's important when you think about triathlon is yes you want to make improvements on your bike but you want to make improvements on your bike that also help you run so being able to do brick training more often that is um a definite because it helps you to get used to the, the posture changes, get used to the the pacing, get used to even the sensation that it takes a, you know, a kilometre for your legs to, to come back again, which out of five kilometres means you've got to be able to not panic, but build the pace such that you don't fight yourself for a kilometre and then end up going slower, which people can find. Um, and I think also, you know, if, you, if you're that much at the pointy end of the race, then even Um, doing a reconnaissance of the course can help you take as much time off as you'd get from that disc wheel and yet it's just being able to work out the ins and outs of transitions the um speed at which you can get your helmet on your wetsuit off assuming you need a wetsuit you might not um and and just looking at those finer points whereas you put a disc on most people and they're not going to go phenomenally faster. Most of the benefits of the discs, you've got to be doing um, sort of 25 miles an hour upwards. And in a try, you might be, but also you're on a harsher surface. You've also got to look at the budget could be probably better spent on loads of other things that can help you perhaps keep this going. You're coming into it... Um, you know, in your 40s. So body work to mean that the posture on the bike, the impact on the run and just the effect of training is actually managed. Otherwise, you could have some of your best races this year and then go through the winter, not be quite as on it, be motivated to train hard and then find your body's falling apart next year. I'm not going to say it happens at 40. It can happen much later than that, but you have to respect that your body's now being pushed into something that it can get away with these first ones the hard bit now is to build very logically and slowly through this winter that you're just about to go into um we're obviously in our summer and make sure that um yeah you look after your body which can still benefit your bike I still see body work as something that somebody should do um in bike terms but that comes out your budget it could have gone into a disc Mm. and the disc will work for you for that You know, five maybe ten watt improvement but only every time you're on the bike whereas if you get good body work if you're doing the correct training if you're doing the right nutrition that can be working every single day through um, the winter to benefit you to come out and say yes you've probably got a lot of your gains now and next year you might be looking at just you know nudging into the top four and um, doing um, that uh, kind of improvement that's on the smaller number of percentage points but there's aero helmet there's um clothing and whether even with sprint um racing now people are racing with um tri suits that are down to the elbow with ribbing on the upper arm they've got their um, tri belts pinned down they've got their bike absolutely pared down they don't need in a lot of cases a lot of hydration and nutrition if anything on the bike so they're really looking at it and that would be the thing in the in the off season is some of those 19 would be relevant to you but not to other people because they say wow i've not even looked into you know keeping my tri belt out of the flapping wind or getting an aero helmet that sits just right because i've sat on a turbo and i've tried my mate's helmets and oh this one sits a treat i'm going to get one of those and clearly your bike is a strength but if you're going to do triathlon you can't ignore that a good bike and a fast bike is good but you've got to be able to swim to get on it and you've got to be able to run off of it in a way that doesn't always get ignored and it's oh yeah but I did a great bike split and you look at somebody's running, go yeah but you're a triathlete if, if you want to do a great bike split alone go into a time trial yeah, yeah. if you want to be a triathlete you've always got to compromise and it doesn't mean that you're um any less error now i think traffics are getting more and more closer to the high-tech stuff that um time trialists have done if you look at the images of any era within triathlon the best racers have been mirroring or certainly learning from the best time trialists of that era because they've realized they go against the clock the only difference is we've got to be able to run when the time trialist clock's finished we've got to be running and there's clearly a lot of strength in your biking, but it's important not to see that the the uh, sexy carbon and sometimes very well advertised bits and pieces that are out there shouldn't move away from training, nutrition, yeah. and technology. And training includes body work. Nutrition includes your diet and your body composition. And technology, you know, can include some people getting a brand new uh, mattress and better environment to sleep in and things like that there's a lot of factors and and it's 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 great to get a question from somebody that's just really so enthusiastic about it but also is just not quite sure whether this tempting little trinket that's being danced in front of him is actually worth it and i would say fundamentally no drop the disc wheel and spend your money elsewhere that's the thing And, and and like joe said with reference to making
1: sure a, you can swim to get to the bike, and then making, you, making sure you don't go so hard on the bike mm. that you can't then run off it because you can be the sixth fastest uh, on your bike. But then if you're the 110th slowest runner, you know, it all adds up. Yeah. So yes, there's certain certain fundamental changes you can make to your kit to make, to make you faster for the same amount of effort. Mm. Um, but you still fundamentally need to be able to get off that bike and run. A decent run leg to be able to kind of make the whole of that, the three, uh, the three disciplines come together to be able to to, to kind of conform to a decent time. So, mm. so yes, things like um, you know you can buy new group sets, which will give you slightly more gear, and if you need to, may make it slightly lighter. Um, but then you know, with reference to your wheels or wheels, looking through your list, the wheel would probably be the first upgrade. But any upgrade from that point of view up to well yeah, well like like you probably um know, Rob, you know, you can spend two and a half grand, three grand on a set of wheels if you wanted to, but I reckon a decent set of, of solid wheels, if this is still your training bike as well, mm-hmm. then you can keep one set of wheels for training. And then another set of wheels with the decent tires, and maybe uh, Joe scribbled down latex tubes as well yeah you know thats a, that that kind of little upgrade makes a hell of a difference as well. decent tires and decent tubes um, and then again, you 're just kind of back onto the top you know the the, the top um, bits of kit, which would be clothing uh, aero helmet. Um, and hydration like like joe said so even um, even rubber bands
0: you know you you get your rubber bands right and you've never used them and they let your feet sit in the sorry your shoes sit in the right position for your feet so that you can jump on that bike onto the dismount line you can be landed on that bike and already doing you know nine ten miles an hour running with the bike feet go in zoom you're gone and suddenly you've just you know saved 10, 15, could be 20 seconds over somebody that fast, can't get on, can't get their leg over the saddle to get on to clip in and you're gone. You're already like, you know, a little dot in the, in the distance. And that's transitions. And that is part of your biking ability. You've got to be able to, you know, jump on the bike and jump off. A time trialist doesn't. So they don't consider quite so many factors, though they will have a very arrow bike. They will finish with a sort of lean towards the line and that's it. So I think you can often, Um, enjoy I think looking at your performances and thinking not in a not in a um, obsessive way about you know how can I improve some people are, are, are too demanding of themselves that it turns it into a real rigmarole I think you want to be excited about what bits do I think I can get better at which I've either seen other people do and I need to learn that technique or I know there's bits that I can tweak on my bike that won't be excessively expensive but can make a difference. And then you notice that from the point where you start the swim right the way to the point where you are running full tilt at the line, there's lots of different bits of the puzzle Right throughout that race, that do relate to you getting better yeah. as a traffic, and it can be the silliest things that relate to laces and rubber bands, and um, you know, a, a better fitting helmet and stuff. And those are the places to go looking for cost effective ways to improve. Yeah. And if you know the budget gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and you can get yourself one of the you know fastest bikes with the fastest wheel set, yeah, you go a little bit quicker, but you're already going so quick, there's only going to be so much time you can make up anyway. We've been sixth overall at the bike leg yeah there might be some people that therefore maybe a minute or possibly two um that are ahead of you out of 110 but you're at the pointy end on the bike just check on swim and run that you're not missing massive discrepancies where you're like you know 33rd fastest swimmer and okay that's the smallest proportion of the race so that can be okay but on the run you don't want to be literally sixth off the bike and then find that people are running past you so it's a, it's a great conundrum there's always places to look there's always things that are changing and um it'll be great once again to uh, hear back from you rob and uh, see how your winter goes um as we go through our summer and um yeah when you start your season we'll be going into winter yeah yeah, yeah. and so the circle starts again so the circle Thanks, starts rob. again yeah and um, we've got other questions we won't do all of them um there's there's loads of uh of, of different uh, stuff that we can follow up on. There was one bit of news, and it relates to uh, relates to um, uh, Ironman athlete in the UK, um, Joe Skipper, who went to uh, Texas and got second there. Um, and it was just—it's one of those numbers. It's one of those things that's been out there on the internet, but it's not always—it's not always grasped by people or even realised. But um, on his bike leg, and th- this would this would resonate with you his average on the one hundred and twelve miles bike leg was three hundred and two watts i mean that's that 's smoking you think three hundred and two watts, um, and then being able to you know hold on to uh, to second place and run, I think he still ran under three i know it's extremely hot i can't remember off the top of my head is the exact splits but um it's all coming down to watts now you know and he's, he's set up with his his aero setup and there's a few bits that i found out about what he was doing to make sure that he was getting as much um out of the uh out of the sort of you know out of the bike speed and you see them with the bottle placement and the aero helmets and stuff but yeah 302 watts for the um for the bike leg it, it, it's impressive
1: from the point of view is if you go and try and hold 302 watts for five minutes yeah five
0: minutes would be all right but not four and a half hours no, that's <laughs> what i mean so well, fair dues um few bits of research update um this one i thought would, would appeal to you this one um, new world speed record on a mountain bike, like... one hundred and thirty-eight point <laughs> seven five miles an hour. But it's this suit that this guy's got that looks like a looks like some kind of yeti or something. I don't know quite what it is. But um, uh, Eric Baron, who's done it a few times um, on the Vars ski resort uh, in, near Gap, he rode at a speed of two hundred and twenty-three kph on a. St- Deep, yeah, snow-packed slope. Um, Baron, 55, <laughs> that's the bit, people, heads up, 55, has set the world record on multiple occasions on both snow and gravel. Um, he rode a special dyno-mounted bike that, just by looking at it, it looks like a, looks like a motorbike mm-hmm. um, with a fairing to improve aerodynamics.
1: It, it, if you've ever been over 40 miles an hour on a bike, you kind of, you think to yourself... You just get to that point where you go, oh! If anything goes wrong, <laughs> this, this could be nasty. It's <laughs> doing a hundred and thirty-eight miles an hour. Have you hour. ever been that fast in a car? I've, I've. The fastest I've been in a car is one hundred and twenty-five miles an hour. Snap! That's the fastest I've yeah. been, and I was petrified on that.
0: Yes, for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, but, yes,
1: but 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 on a bicycle on, a bicycle, <laughs> on yeah, ice on ice. I oh, know it's it's um, yeah. well
0: and uh, what. Breaks? <laughs> it doesn't even matter, does it? It no, doesn't even matter. No. So there we go. One hundred and thirty-eight point seven five. But it was when, because I remember this guy. He's popped up a few times, and I love it because they wear all like the stuff like the Daniel skiers, boots, all the fairings and, it, and stuff. It's yeah. like, oh, that looks awesome. He's done it before with a red suit that looks like something thing out of Star Wars. Is that the one where the front of his bike broke away? Oh, I can't Did remember see that, that one. one? Oh. But and so I thought he's been around a while. And then when I looked, he's fifty-five. I thought, good on you, mate. Daredevil slash lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> possibly. Uh, no, definitely. Possibly. <laughs> um, um won't talk about that one. That'd be something different for next time about um race across America, the guy's average power, race across America. Don't don't research that. Wonder if you can think how many watts that would be for the race across America. Um here's an interesting one. We do the low intensity, we do the high intensity. Um a little bit of research from a very good group of um, uh sports scientists. And this came out in a journal called Experimental Physiology. And what they did was they tried to look at the um, the interval regime, but manipulating the recovery between it and say, OK, if you actually uh, change the um, effect by just reducing the time between the actual intervals, does it make, does it make that much difference? And lo and behold, the title of it is altering the rest interval during high intensity interval training does not affect muscle or performance adaptations. So they're looking at it in a, you know, very sort of, uh, uh, um, I think a very rigorous way in terms of how they pinpointed down what was going on. And to summarise, they basically said, it's what you do in the work interval that sort of is happening at a mechanical... Okay, it is happening at a cellular phosphocreatine, lactate, hydrogen ion level. But the the implication is that you give yourself enough rest to produce the right intervals, not think you have to hold a set recovery that you've heard of, oh, it's four minutes on and one minute off. It's better that you can do the four minutes at the prescribed level than it is to almost scrimp on the recovery, think, oh, I don't need all that recovery, I'll go and do another one. You're better um, to really allow the muscle to get its, if you like, punch of improvement, get it to do what it's meant to do by giving your body enough recovery between the intervals. And that's the first time I've seen that actually, I've seen where it's been manipulated comparing different times of does a three minute interval be a four um this is just manipulating the amount of recovery that you get in terms of between the same type of intervals so they're not actually changing the interval they're just saying okay if we change the actual recovery between the intervals what happens in terms of specifically things like um uh muscle lactate level um and um, also the, the sort of impact on things like um, sodium, potassium, um, ATP, etc. So it's quite interesting because people have an idea that they need to do a set recovery interval. You know, they've got to do it. If it's this many minutes on, it should be this many minutes off. And some of those are actually born out of a pretty good guess as to how long the athlete would need to recover. But if it says you've got to do four minutes on, but you can only have three minutes recovery, If you fail to do the number of intervals that you should do, actually, you need to redress, not that you haven't got what it takes. You actually need maybe an extra minute of recovery in order that your body is ready to do the hard work. So if it does the hard work and it can adapt to that, you will be able to go back and do it again. Whereas if you always fail because you're not giving yourself enough recovery, then you'll always fail. So it's not it's not really a case of trying to say, you know, eventually your body will adapt. They're saying there's no real benefit to you actually um, over um, certainly this five weeks, three days a week scenario. There was no point in specifically trying to cut back. Um, the intensity. Now this will, sorry, not intensity, to cut back on the recovery period. And this might be, you know, somebody else will have another go at it. They might find it a critical intensity. This is more important or that there's um, certain provisos. But you'd have thought this would have been done loads of times to the point where we'd already known the answer. But actually it's saying um, manipulation of the rest period Um, doesn't affect the changes that you're trying to do in terms of phosphocreatine resynthesis, ATP, sodium, potassium, and stuff like that. And that's probably not most people's thought. Most people sort of think the benefits in trying to sort of almost scrimp on the recovery and then go back to it again. Well, you're actually actually not trying to do that. You're trying to deliver the best high-intensity effort. And um, there's particular, this idea of sort of a a four-minute high-intensity effort particularly in, um, in cycling um, and some people think they need to do it only on two minutes recovery because they've sort of read it somewhere and yet seeing plenty of elite athletes talk about it, they were doing at least four minutes recovery in order to do it. So I think maybe if your intervals are a bit stale or you find that you really struggle to deliver the full, the full effect all the way through the intervals, you're better to deliver high quality throughout and have more rest than think, oh, I need to cut my rest, because, you know, isn't it better that you have less rest? Well, this is saying, no, you better not to. you better to hit the, hit the better figures. To, better to hit the figures, absolutely, absolutely. Um, We're at just over an hour, so I didn't want to do um, too many more um, bits and pieces, but there is something for... Uh, I'm not going not to ask you to read that one, because that's quite a, that's quite a, a mouthful of... Um, of uh, of research plus i've got to that's, read it that's all quite first. that's quite a mouthful of, of long words of long words yes yeah. Uh, yeah long words long words um there was something which um we can we can both have a look at which was stuff to do with um road cycling um posture on a tri bike so drop bar type scenario um and how the aerodynamic position varies depending on how somebody uses in terms of short error bar extensions when they're on the drops when they're on the hoods when they've got the head down a bit when they're trying to tuck all the different scenarios um i can send you this full paper and then you can have a look at it as well so we can discuss it next time but it's really interesting about the the slight changes in posture and how they can actually vary the drag of a rider this has come out of um australia and i guess you know the format certainly the format of um crit riding there certainly the format of triathlons being you know a lot more certainly elite level um triathlon is is um you know big in terms of trying to break away from a group or trying to stay in a group is about the aerodynamic posture they may not always have the error bars or the ability to use them so they're looking at um, draft legal sort of um, applications of how do you best get your body into certain postures and some of them are very subtle differences when they change the the rider's position in terms of the head where their arms are where their elbows drop or don't drop and they make quite big differences in the drag and and there was a couple there that were a bit counterintuitive as to what you'd think would be the best Mm. so we can both have a look at that for next episode and, and take you through it and we can actually um, spend a bit of time going through it. it it's a really good study because it's one of these where they've got loads of pictures where you don't have to think, oh, what, what positions did they check? And they just talk about, you know, this position or this position. There's very specific pictures of how they've changed the, the uh, rider's um, position and then looked at what implication does that have for drag and for speed. And I think for a lot of people it can still relate to how they ride a bike in the wind hmm in a sportive, in a, you know, um, almost like a uh, group riding, fitness ride, how can they best, you know, use their posture and their equipment to keep up with people or to drop people? Because, yes, the you know, the TT triathlon scenario of full, you know, tri-set-up and super deep wheels is one scenario. This is actually taking a road bike and saying, you know, if this person was doing these particular postures, how would it improve their position? And there's more applicability, I think, for that in just day-to-day riding
1: yeah
0: yeah send it over we'll have a look okay i'll 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 email you that one i will
1: highlight
0: certain aspects aspects. yes yes okay i think actually that um at just over um an hour probably approaching an hour and a quarter by the time we've got the various bits of music and stuff on there um i think it would be um good to sort of say look we're middle of the season we'd like to hear from you about your races but we'd also like to get some more questions potentially from people that aren't in race mode um such as people that are on the uh, other side of the globe that are going into uh, winter training it's always good to remind people in the summer what people are doing in the winter because it makes them feel like oh yeah there is something to really make me go out and do that race because in six months time I'm going to be in the middle of winter and there's nothing like looking back and reminding people of their diary from December and saying look back at there that's why you want to go and race yeah. don't make reasons why you can't do it get out there and do it thank you for your reviews um, particularly uh, Kevo M and Ian Hutchinson for the two that we've uh, received um, in the last month We appreciate the ratings um, at iTunes and any feedback you can give us via either jbst.com or coachjobeer.com. The Twitter feed, either at South Fork Racing or at Coach Joe Beer, we will put various bits and pieces out. Also, uh, quite good to get questions coming in via Twitter. I don't tend to get into Twitter conversations about questions because it can be so frustrating with whatever number of letters you've yeah, got to do right, it yeah. but also it's often not you can't actually think it through in the same way and uh, and uh, hopefully we verbalize it better than we'll ever write it follow us on facebook.com slash coach joe beer facebook.com slash southwark racing here we go right sharing here southwark racing Braunton, i think you OK, OK. Uh, there we are. We are an hour and a quarter in. We are in the middle of summer. We are just about to get a two-day heatwave in the UK. <laughs> if, you, if you're elsewhere, you might uh, hear about we yeah, had two days of uh, very hot weather. That's so, it. Yeah. And, um, yes, thank you for listening. Remember, train smart and have fun. Oh, Martin. You always remember that bit.